bad uh, issues with my computer uh, this week. Last night it crashed on me with my uh, uh, notes for Psalm 117, uh, which we were going to do tonight, but we're going to have to leave till next week. Uh, so I, I and I couldn't get my printer to connect to this computer, and so it wouldn't print off my notes. So I just had to take uh, take my computer with me. So. Uh, this is a first for me, so I just, uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, just so if you're squinting all through the service and not paying attention, wondering what the stickers are, <laughs> which is sometimes what we do, what do they, those stickers say? It's, uh, these are a sticker for Vans off the wall, Van shoes, and then uh, I got the COVID vaccine sticker, so we had to stick it somewhere. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so we put it on the back uh, of the computer. Uh, so... Um, so now you, you won't be uh, 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 distracted by what the, the stickers are saying. Uh, so let's turn to Isaiah 40. And, uh, and uh, we're going to visit uh, a portion of Scripture that we've done before. And uh, verses 6 to 8. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, the context of this uh, 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 section, of course, is found within the whole chapter. And the chapter starts off with these words, this directive by God to the prophet that he might comfort the people. And listen to the intensity there. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. What an amazing thing. The people are, are uh, uh, on the... Uh, they're, they're not long, they're going to be in exile. And uh, the prophet Isaiah speaks so clearly about the fact that not only are they going to go in, into exile for a number of years, but the prophet also talks about the one who will let them go, Cyrus. He will, bring, he will be the one to bring them uh, to back, to let them go, and to reestablish them in the land. So full is the revelation of Isaiah. And he's looking forward here to that time when the people of Israel will be judged by God, but that they will be now coming out of that judgment and in need of comfort and consolation. That's the thing with God. He never leaves us uh, simply in a, a, a crushed and broken state. He afflicts us for our good. And that's where faith comes in. You may feel like sometimes uh, the Lord has left me too long. Or uh, what is God doing through this situation? Uh, will God ever visit me again? That's, that was the cry of the, the psalmist when he said, How long, O Lord? How long? I, again, you have that sense. The double, the, the, the repetition of the pain. How long, O Lord? How long? And here, the, the pro, God is saying to, through the prophet, Comfort, comfort my people. And so... Uh, in, in so doing, the, the, the prophet is told to cry out. Cry out. Isaiah is told by God to cry out. 
And all of these things that, that, that he's going to say from here on out is for the comfort of God's people. Will they believe it? Will we believe it ourselves? Will we incorporate it into our lives and decide to live according to the revelation that God has given? That's the big question. Isaiah 53 says, To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who has believed our report? That's incredible. That's an amazing statement. That's the prophet saying uh, uh, about the nation, who has believed what they heard from us? That's a very important question. Have you believed what you heard from God? Do you trust God every day, even in the times when you feel forsaken by God or under God's judgmental hand or disciplinary hand? This morning we read in our call to worship Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 12 where it says, do not treat the discipline of the Lord lightly. Our Heavenly Father uh, disciplines us for our good for eternal life. And so we can... We, we have to see God's discipline in an eternal perspective. And when we do, then we are able to deal with whatever we're going through. Say, I don't know why I'm going through this and why I'm going through it for so long, but I know that God is good, that God is merciful. And just as with the people of Israel whom He brought into judgment but never didn't forget them there, He's going to bring them back with great comfort and consolation. So he says here, cry out. Cry out. What is he told to cry out about? He says, a voice says cry. And I say, said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. Notice there, he says, what shall I cry? That's the mark of a true prophet. He doesn't make up his own message though the, the, the church today is making up its own message. Another mainline denomination just this week at their, syn at their General Assembly here in Canada voted to uh, legalize uh, homosexuality within the ministry uh, as well as within uh, um, uh, the wider culture. And uh, so it's... the. The, the prophets did not do that. They say, what shall I cry? Lord, you give me the message. No matter how hard or difficult that message is, Lord, help me to preach that. What shall I cry? And God tells him, all flesh is grass. All flesh is grass. That word flesh it just simply sums up all humanity. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty like the flower of the field. Now, in, that, in saying that, he is saying that both physically and spiritually, man is but grass. Man is grass. And really, when you think about it, the emphasis in the New Testament is on the spiritual. When you talk about the flesh getting the better of you, or acting according to the flesh, you're not simply talking about skin and bone and blood and so on. You're talking about the motivation. You're talking about the, the desires that, that are behind what you do. And 
in treating the people, in comforting the people, they have to own up to their own sinfulness. They have to own up to their own weaknesses. They have to learn the lessons from the past. Are you good at learning lessons? Am I good at learning lessons? God asks us to do that, to remember. He does. He's so interested in doing that that He incorporates the history of Israel into the very songs that they sing. That was their, their songs, the, the songs of praise. It, 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 and so much of their moral failures was incorporated in the psalms. We sometimes think, perhaps, well, <laughs> I don't want to sing the psalms because some of the things in the psalms uh, are, are, are just not happy. They, 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 they put a, uh, make us seem very, uh, um, uh, you know, at fault and, and, and full of sin. And, and there seems to be a very dour spirit there. And yet, what the Psalms are doing is getting us to face our own fleshness. Getting us to face our own brokenness. And so it talks about the children of Israel rebelling against God at, in Meribah. And in different places along the, the path in the Exodus, where they rebelled against God and did not believe Him, even though He showed them His miracles and was good to them. And then when you sing that, you say, hey, you know what? I am like that myself. All flesh is grass. My flesh is grass. I, uh, 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 I, there is a, uh, a component within me of moral failure. And that I need to own up to that. All flesh is grass. And it's all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. And so we, we think of not only man in his spiritual state, but man in his physical state. No matter what man has tried to accomplish, uh, it comes eventually to nothing. The empires that we build, and we think of our own lives, uh, we are called to glorify God in our jobs, in our occupations. We are to, there to provide for our families and so on. But eventually it's all very transitory, isn't it? The, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says you can build all your life and then leave it to somebody who will waste everything. You might leave it to a fool. And it's gone. And so it shows about, talks about the vanity of life. And so James, for example, talks. He says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then is gone. And so... The Spirit of God here is showing us uh, that uh, the glory of man is transitory. And this, this is what he wants the prophet to cry out. The psalmist says, Lord, teach me to number my days that I may get a heart of wisdom. Teach me how fleeting life is. Somebody asked Billy Graham that. He says, what, what is the, the uh, biggest lesson you've learned in life? What's the thing that has shocked you the most. He said how transitory life is. How quickly it flies by. And that surely is what the prophet is getting at here. He wants them. He says, cry out. 
tell them, get it through to them, that they're morally and physically and in every possible way, they are at the end of the day, grass. Though their glory be wonderful, it is only for a short time. It's but a flower. Uh, it's beauty like the flower of the field. And again, all of this is to show the people the way in which God wants to comfort them. We, we want to be comforted, but it must be on God's terms. We start the chapter off by saying, wow, this is great. Comfort, comfort. We all want comfort, don't we? We want peace. We want peace of mind. We want peace of soul. We don't want to be constantly stressed out or constantly uh, uh, waking up every day with a sense of you know, uh, 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 being lost or misdirected. We want that comfort. And yet, so often we want it on our own terms. And we find it in the we try to find it in the world, whether it be Netflix, whether it be sports, whether it be uh, 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 going off on a vacation or whatnot. These things uh, may uh, uh, do you some good for a short period of time, but then you're left with the same nagging questions. And you can see that with uh, world empires uh, or world uh, leaders, movers and shakers. Heads of corporations, sports stars, movie stars, they get to the end and they, they feel vanity of vanities. I haven't found that comfort in money uh, or, or in, in pleasure or in whatever it is. It's left me cold at the end of the day. Why? Because they're trying to find it in themselves. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. And so he paints a very dark picture, the character of you and I, left to ourselves. Whatever it is that we use to bolster ourselves up, to give us that boost for one more day, to get us through the week, whatever it is, it's going to leave us cold unless we come at it on God's terms. Comfort, says the Lord. Comfort my people, yes, but on my terms. So we see the character of man. Secondly, we see the character of the Word of God. And so look at how he emphasizes it. All flesh is grass. And all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Look how weak it is. Look how unstable it is. Surely the people are grass. I think we get the point. We feel that in and of ourselves. We wilt in the summer heat. We can't. We can't uh, 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 be the people that we have, are called to be. We become less productive because the summer heat maybe gets to us. We're put off by things. We uh, uh, eat too much and we're, uh, we become tired. And, uh, there's all sorts of factors that impact us. And 
We are not what we ought to be. But God is setting the people up. He's not wanting them simply to say, this is how terrible you are. He's simply stating a fact. Even Adam, in his uh, pre-sin state in the Garden of Eden, was a dependent creature. He depended on the Lord for food and for blessing and all of these things. He walked with God. How much more mankind in, the, in, the, in this fallen state in which we live. But God is setting the people up. That as they recognize their own weakness, that they may see the power of God's Word, the power of God's promises. And in that, if you are an exile in Babylon, which these people were shortly to be, then you realize the, 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 the wealth of this statement, the promises of God to bless His people. The promises that He made to Abraham. In blessing I will bless you. That the nations will come in. That God will rebuild Zion. That God will send His Messiah. All of these things foretold in Isaiah. Isaiah 40. Isaiah uh, 53. Isaiah 55. And so on. To the point where, as he comes to the end of Isaiah, he talks about the, the new heavens and the new earth. <laughs> Quite a, an expansive agenda that God presents to his people who are in prison, who are in exile, and who are slaves. This is what he gives them. And this is what he gives us. And that though the glory of man, including the Babylonian Empire, will fall, the Word of God, the promises of God, the agenda of God will never, ever fall. Is it any wonder that Paul could go to writing to the Romans and he says, I'm, I want to come and, and be with you there in Rome. And he gets there, but by a circuitous kind of route, he gets there as a prisoner. He gets there through shipwrecks and, and uh, all sorts of terrible things, but he eventually gets to Rome. But how, what does he say when he's writing to the Romans in chapter 1? I am not ashamed, he says, of the Gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Notice. You have the same scenario. You have an oppressed people. You have a weak minority group of people under the shadow of a huge empire. When Isaiah was writing... It was going to be the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire and then the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire. And yet, he is saying, what is going to make the difference for the people of God? It's the Word. It's the promises of God which never fade. Now, Paul comes along and where are these Christians again situated? They're situated under the shadow of the Roman Empire. And what does Paul do? He's not ashamed. He's writing to comfort the people who are in Rome. And he says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel of, the, of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God. It has the, the real authority. It alone has the power to change and to comfort and to encourage. And much like Isaiah, whose, the, whose uh, uh, agenda unfolded, ending in the new heavens and the new earth, so the book of Romans, as it goes on, unfolds the purposes of God in glorious ways to reassure the Romans that the plans of God have not 
fa- uh, have not failed. And we read that this morning. It is not as though the Word of God has failed. And God is saying the same thing to the people who in a short time are going to be in a foreign land listening to foreign tongues and may be discouraged and feel, has the Word of God failed? Paul says the same thing as Isaiah. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. It is not as though the Word of God has failed. The plans of God have not failed. For not all Israel are of Israel. And God's purposes will be completed. And he says, if the ingathering of the Gentiles uh, is glorious, what uh, if the, rather the casting away of, of the Jews and bringing in the Gentiles is wonderful. What will be the opening up of the eyes of the Jews but life from the dead, a resurrection? And then he ties it all neatly together and he says, and so all Israel will be saved. Now there's lots of discussion as how to, how people apply that and understand that, but what Paul is getting at is that God's plan will not fail. He will bring it to its glorious conclusion. That's why Paul puts his pen down and he says, oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his ways past finding out. And so he contrasts the weakness of you and I, the weakness of human glory, the weakness of human empires like Babylon and Rome or even today the American or the British empires and whatever it may be. And all their plans. We will do this and we will do that. And you see China on the ascendancy. And you see people are worried. Where is this all going to lead as China's economy uh, takes over the Western economies within the next 20 years, 20-30 years? The Chinese economy will be stronger than the Western economies. And people wonder, where will this all lead? And we see the totalitarianism of of China and say, are we going to be under a totalitarian uh, 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 thumb? And so on. People have worries. People are worried today. Where is this all going? Where is this all going to end? Even as we see humanity being redefined before our very eyes. And we ask, where is it all going to end? And yet God calls His people to peace. He wants His people to be be comforted and encouraged. And how does He do that? Through the Word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. This is the character of the Word. What a contrast to you and I. Jesus says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. See, it's not just a book. It's the active, living Word of God that's going out and producing things and changing things. God is at work. It's not just a Bible sitting on a table. But it's God's promises at work 
generating and moving and shifting and plowing through in this world, upsetting empires, bringing people down and raising people up, sending revival, changing the course of history. I was reading an article recently and the article was on how Charles Spurgeon and others like him in London in the 1800s staved off the kind of political revolution that Karl Marx uh, had been intending and staved off the kind of bloodshed that was so clearly seen in the French Revolution of 1789. And what was it through? It was through the preaching of the Word of God. That's what changed people. It took root in, 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 in Russia, the article said, because the church was not strong enough. It was not centered on the Word enough to thwart communism, to thwart Marxism. It didn't have the wherewithal. But men like Charles Spurgeon and J.C. Ryle in London, as they preached, the people heard, the people heard the antidote to the evils of Marxism. And that is what we are called to do today. Are we called to be political? Yes. When it comes down to things like this, just as Charles <coughs> Spurgeon and many others, and like Ryle and, and many other preachers in Britain in the day, preached the unsearchable riches of Christ and the bloodshed that characterized the, <coughs> the streets of, of Paris in the, in the French Revolution did not take hold in Great Britain. And earlier, going back than that, <coughs> people credit in the 1700s the preaching of Whitfield and Wesley when they went out into the open air. And they, what did they do? They preached the Word of God. The everlasting, powerful Gospel of Christ. Jesus says, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, when all were leaving, where all were forsaking, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And friends, that may be, spell something that may unfold even in our own day and generation. As more denominations, like the one we saw just this week, fell to the spirit of the age as they turn away from Jesus and they turn away from the Bible. And Jesus asks us, will you also go away? And as much as these denominations say they are still following Jesus, they are definitely not. They have been swallowed up by the spirit of the age. Sing their songs all they like. Organize all they like. Do whatever they want, all they like. Jesus has left premises. Will you also go away? That's what Jesus is asking us. Will we hold on to the Word? You have the words of eternal life, says Jesus. That says Peter about Jesus. What a wonderful book we have. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. 
I think it's a sweet thing that the, I think it was the French Bible Society, they had their headquarters in the former residence of Frederick Nietzsche, the uh, French philosopher who said that God was dead, <laughs> and they have uh, occupied his residence and used it to distribute Bibles through France. A sweet irony. And so this is the word that Peter uh, described for us there in 1 Peter. Peter takes up this uh, uh, um, passage to again a people in exile. Chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. Now what's Peter doing? He's saying the Israelites were exiles and God spoke to them. He said, my promises are sure. After 70 years I will visit you. I will bring you back to this land. I will comfort my people. My word is sure and true. It doesn't matter how society is in great upheaval or what uh, things you see standing against you. You exiles need to know that though the, the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. So listen to Peter as he's writing to the elect exiles. That's the Christians who are now dispersed all over the Roman Empire. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of, of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the Word of the Lord remains forever. Now listen how specific he gets. And this, is, this Word is the good news. The Gospel that is preached unto you. Is Peter changing it around? Is Peter injecting the New Testament where Isaiah didn't? Not at all. Who is called the fifth Gospel writer but Isaiah? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But many have described Isaiah as the fifth Gospel writer because of how explicit he is about the person and work of Jesus. Isaiah 7, the Emmanuel prophecy. Isaiah 9, the prophecy concerning, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. And on it goes. Then it reaches its gospel crescendo in Isaiah 53. The gospel is shot through Isaiah. The gospel is, Isaiah is full of the gospel. Isaiah pointed the people to God's faithfulness in sending a son, sending a servant who would die for the sins of his people. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace. You see, there's that comfort. Comfort ye, comfort my people. Where are they going to get it? He was crushed for our iniquities. He was wounded for 
the, 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 the punishment that brought us peace and comfort was upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed. Peter is saying, this is the word. This is the word that Isaiah preached to the exiles. And this is the word that we preach to you now through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need this word more than ever. It shows us the necessity of this word. To believe this word. Peter talks there. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living, abiding Word of God. And so he confronts us at the beginning with our frailty, with our deadness, with our inability to save ourselves. It doesn't paint a very flattering picture. It lays us low in the dust. He says, you are dead in trespasses and sins. And he says to these people, to the exiles, he says, you exiles, you have been born again through the Word of God. How we need the Bible. How we need the promises of the Bible. The glory of the Gospel. That's why Peter says, this is the Word, the good news that is now preached unto you. And through that Gospel, we are born again unto a living hope. Paul says, the Gospel which I preach to you, which you have heard, which you receive, wherein you stand, by which you are also saved. I want to challenge you tonight. Have you been changed by the Word of God? Do you rejoice in the promises of God? Is this your treasure? As the psalmist says, it is more precious to me than gold, yea, much fine gold. It is sweeter to the taste than honey, because it is this Word that saved my soul. Is this, this, it is this Word that has given me a place of, uh, among the, the people of God forever. It is this Word that continues to shape and mold and change me. And so, just as Isaiah was holding out the absolute necessity of the Word of God as the only vehicle by which they were going to be comforted, so Peter takes that up and he says, you were saved, you were born again, not by perishable seed, but by imperishable, by the Word of God. So Paul, in Acts 20, he's leaving Ephesus. And he says, I know after I leave, wolves will come in after me. And they will try to destroy and divide and devour the flock. Oh, well, what would you say if you heard that? But Paul says this, Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among them that are being sanctified. But Paul he says, Though I am going, and, the, and because people are unstable, even the best of men are grass. Where do we get the stability? Where do we get the confidence? How do we survive in this world where churches and denominations are falling left, right, and center? Where people maybe in our own families or people who are close to us and people we've grown up with have a completely different view of reality now than the Word of God 
has. Where do we go? Where do we stand? Well, we can, we can out of, uh, out of uh, uh, a sense of love, call it love, we can adopt their position. No, that's not loving. We go to the Word of God. We will find comfort. God is intense. God intensely says, comfort, comfort. Where will we find that comfort? How will we be? How will we be strong? How will we stand? Except in the Word of God, that does not fade. Eternal is Your Word, O Lord, in the heavens. Now this may seem repetitive to you, but as we've seen, Jesus repeats again and again and again. Even Isaiah repeated again and again, all flesh is grass. He, he tried to say it in, in different ways. And maybe you feel it, 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 there's a repetitiveness about all of this, but we have to realize how weak we are. How If we ourselves internally can be easily overwhelmed by the society in which we live, by people at work, by people in our family, by someone, by the emotions that we see going on around us. And our society is emotionally driven today. And that's how people who are attacking the Word of God are coming at it emotionally. And that's a very powerful selling point to us. We're swayed by emotions. And what does that end up doing? It appeals to the fleshliness of us. The grassliness of us. And we soon fall away. We lose our footing. We lose our, our standing because we've succumbed to emotion rather than truth. The flower fades. The grass withers. But the Word of the Lord stands forever. It's not that we're choosing between emotion and truth. It's not that we're choosing between love and truth. No. What does Peter say? He says, love one another. He, he marries those two things. Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth, for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. How does he... How does he characterize truth, but uh, characterize love rather, except through the truth? And he he bookends it by saying, you, "Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, all flesh is grass, all its glory like the flower, flower of the field." That's what happens when we get swept away by emotion today and don't stand on the word but peter ends by saying this is the word of the good news that was preached to you for us to truly love our neighbor in this morally upside down world and even to tackle the sin in our own heart as peter says here you shall be holy for i am holy he starts not with the world out there but with the people of god how are they going to do it how are they going to change? How are they going to be holy? 
by the same word that has caused them to be born again. The same word that endures forever. The same word, as Paul says, that is the power of God unto salvation. And so we need to make God's word our companion. These glorious affirmations that God gives us in, our, in His Word are to be received by faith. We are to hold to these truths that God has given to us. A, of our own weakness. I know my, my own weakness. And I pray about it all the time. And I know how easily swayed I can be by arguments, by emotion, by these sorts of things that are going on in society and how easily we can be taken down. Many of these churches and denominations that have succumbed to the spirit of the age were full of people who were strong in the Word of God and many of whom we, who, who still are and love the Lord. And we thank God for that and we pray for them within those denominations. And so we realize our own tendency to be swept away. That's the first thing. And the second thing, as we saw, was where we go, where we stand. What is the place where we say no compromise? No going beyond what the Word of God says. Let the world do its worst. Let them call us fools. Let them call us ignorant. Let them call us... But to really love the people around us. And to, to be the salt and light that God has called us to be, we must stand on the Word of God and reckon everything, our reputation, our glory, as nothing, and the kingdom of God as everything. Let's